Welcome to Cincy Reformed. I am Pastor Brandon, joined with my co-pastor, Pastor Zach. We're pastors at Westside Reformed Church, a URC congregation in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is our final episode in the series that we've been doing, looking at the differences between the Reformed Church, the Reformed Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church. And we want to do this in order that we might refine our understanding and sharpen our, our understanding of what what we believe and what really matters and, and, and also help us with dialogue because oftentimes dialogue, I, kind of, I always get bogged down in the weeds, but it, you know this kind of sharpens us to where we can know some key differences that we can maybe highlight and, and talk more about these, these differences. Uh, but so far, we, we've spoken about authority and sola scriptura in our first episode. Second episode, we spoke about sola fide, justification. Our third episode, we spoke about the Pope and church structure. And then our, in our last episode, we spoke of saints and Mary. And so today, we're going to hit the Eucharist because that is one of the central pieces in Roman Catholicism. It's one of the pieces that is central to the life of a um, of the average Roman Catholic. It, it's it's central to the to to the piety and so on. Um, so Zach, maybe we can begin by just um, kind of highlighting for us what does the the Catholic Catechism, for example, say about the Eucharist? Sure. Yeah. The first uh, quote I have here really confirms what you were saying about how it is of such central importance to uh, Roman Catholicism. And uh, so let's hear this. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and words of the apostolate, are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented towards it. For in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself, our Paschal. The Eucharist is the sun and summary of our faith. Our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist, and the Eucharist in turn confirms our way of thinking. So, very clearly we see of just how central it is to uh, Roman Catholicism. There are certain parts of this description I find to be somewhat helpful, I can to some degree resonate with. But I want to uh, read a little bit more here to see more of what exactly they mean by this kind of a thing. So, to quote here, and this is where I from our vantage point, the problem comes in uh, very clear, clearly. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priests who then offered himself on the cross. Only the minister uh, only the manner of offering is different. In this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. In the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Christ becomes also the sacrifice of the members of his body. And so clearly here, we begin to see the significant departure between the Roman Catholic tradition 
and the Protestant tradition, and specifically what we're reflecting on, the Reformed Catholic tradition, you see here that the sacrificial nature of the Mass, uh, Eucharist is a term that can be used by different you know, traditions, but the Mass here is what we're talking about. And this is why they believe in transubstantiation, where the bread becomes the body, the wine becomes the blood, because at that point then, Christ is being offered up in the very same, you know, uh, the, the very qualitatively the same as what happened on the cross. Um, now it's unbloody for them. It was bloody back then, but still the same Christ who is being offered up, the same atonement is being made, the same propitiation, you could say. And so, uh, as we think about the sacrificial nature there and the, the sacrifice for sins, let's now begin to uh, think about this critically um, a little bit more. And Brandon, could you help us with that? Yeah. Um, so in the Reformed um, tradition, we believe, as um, the writer of Hebrews, for example, declares that Christ uh, died once for all. There's no repeating that. There's no daily or weekly repetition of the same sacrifice of Christ. He sacrificed himself once for all. Um, so, and you know, we have a high view of the Lord's Supper as well. Like I, I, I love the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper every week. We, we love it. But this has gone above and beyond. This has gone beyond the bounds of, of Scripture. So here's the, the Belgian Confession, Article 35, speaking about the Lord's Supper, and it'll become evident the, um, the, the differences here between what the Reformed Church is saying and what the Roman Catholic Church is saying. Um, so, so the Belgic says, Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body, and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. And that's going to be key there because, yes, we, we affirm the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, but it's a spiritual presence as the Spirit brings us to heaven to feast upon Christ. It's not a bringing Christ down. It's not a turning something into physical uh, body and blood. Uh, but, but yes, Christ is still present, even though physically he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The Belgic goes on to say, in that way, Jesus Christ remains always seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, but he never refrains on that account to communicate himself to us through faith. So even in heaven, communicates himself to us through faith. The Belgic goes on to say, This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all of his benefits. At that table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death. He nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. And so there's a, there's a renewing aspect. There's a nourishing aspect to, to the Lord's Supper. Um, we are strengthened, our faith is strengthened, and as, as Christ communicates himself and all of his, all of his benefits. The, um, the Heidelberg Catechism um, asks the question, question 78, do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? The answer, no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, 
but is simply a divine sign and assurance of, of these things, so too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. And so very clearly we can see the distinction between the Reformed Church and the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, in question 80 of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Catechism goes on to um, really draw out what, the, the key difference here between the Reformed and the Catholic view. Question 80 asks the question, How does the Lord's Supper differ from the Roman Catholic Mass? Here's the answer. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all of our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. So that is the Reformed view, that the Lord's Supper is saying all of your sins, past, present, future, every sin that you'll ever commit through your entire life is completely forgiven in Christ because of one sacrifice that he did nearly 2,000 years ago. It's been fully accomplished on the cross when he said it is finished. And when you see the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is not an arrow from you to God. And, and the Lord's Supper is an arrow from God to us promising. It is a sign of promise that comforts us and nourishes us, teaching us that all of our sins are completely wiped away. And then question 80 goes on to now define the Mass and how that differs from the, from the Reformed view. But the Mass teaches that the living and the dead do not have their sins forgiven through the suffering of Christ, unless Christ is still offered for them daily by the priests. It also teaches that Christ is bodily present under the form of bread and wine, where Christ is therefore to be worshipped, Thus, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and is a condemnable idolatry. So the Mass is a condemnable idolatry because it is denying the once-for-all saving efficacy of the cross of Christ. As people partake in the Mass, they're just denying the cross of Christ. They're denying the efficacy of it. And they're saying it wasn't good enough. It has to be repeated every day, otherwise my sins aren't forgiven. Whereas the Reformed are saying, no, it's a, the, the Lord's Supper is to be a sign that all sins are gone forever. Uh, so that's a, a massive difference. Um, we have just totally different views here on what's happening, you know, even as we're taking uh, the elements, like w what is happening when, when we take the elements. For Rome, it's very mechanical. It's almost like a pop machine. You press a button and a pop comes out. And uh, that's not so for the Reformed view. So, Zach, maybe you can reflect on when, when the Reformed Church or the Reformed tradition speaks about the ordinary means of grace, um, what does that mean in the life of the Reformed Christian? Yeah, well, I think that this is really starting to draw out that distinction quite clearly in terms of how we differ so significantly within our worship from 
Roman Catholicism. I think that as we reflect upon what we've read thus far from Rome, as they describe the Eucharist as the source and summit of the Christian life, and they say that it attunes the way of thinking of the Roman Catholic, and then as they proceed to describe the sacrifice for sin being made, you begin to see that the the orbit, the ecosystem of Roman Catholicism is one in which they are accomplishing their salvation. And so the arrow here is going up toward God from the church toward God through the hands of the priest toward God. We're making this atonement. We're accomplishing this salvation. And that becomes then the thing that spiritually forms the Roman Catholic. Whereas when we begin to speak and think about the Lord's Supper as part of the ordinary means of grace, in other words, the word and the sacrament ministry of the church, we flip the arrow the other way around, where we recognize within worship that because Christ's sacrifice perfectly accomplished all of our salvation, that by his one act of righteousness, the many will be made righteous, Romans chapter 5, that by his uh, propitiation, his uh, absorbing wrath, that he has done it on the cross, that now the arrow comes down from God to us as an applying to us the gracious salvation that he already perfectly accomplished. And so then when we begin to speak and think about that, the orientation of the Reformed Christian is as a recipient of God's perfect work in Christ. And to gather as those who are empty to be filled, to gather as those who are sinners to be renewed in forgiveness, to gather as those who are hungry to eat and to feast, and not to make, um, uh, uh, not to accomplish uh, the atonement for sins, but to receive what's already been done by Jesus Christ. And so when we think then about gathering to hear the word proclaimed, we're receiving recipients. As we gather to witness or to receive holy baptism, we're gathering as a recipient. As we gather around the table and celebrate the Eucharist, we're there as a recipient of the work of Christ, not to continue the work toward the Father, but to receive the work that the Son already perfectly performed uh, before the Father in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. So in, in that sort of way, the spiritual formation, you could say, of the Reformed Christian is very different than with the Roman Catholic. Um, uh, with, with the Roman Catholic, the uh, Roman Catholic trying to accomplish something, we are receiving what Christ perfectly uh, accomplished. What are your thoughts on that, Brandon? Any other things you might say? No, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, really gets to the heart of it in terms of our orientation and what we're doing. It shapes our motivation for going to church. Mm -hmm. It shapes our Christian piety, our daily life. Uh, everything is just kind of uh, flipped mm -hmm. if, you're, if, if you're in the Roman Catholic Church where it becomes uh, a very much works mindset, mm -hmm. this kind of works-based mindset versus a receiving what Christ has perfectly done on your behalf and then living out that uh, that gratitude and that love and that grace. Um, this also, I mean, just uh, from a, a standpoint of history, 
you know, as the Reformation was happening, this even changed the church architecture, the way that churches were set up, where you could walk into a Roman Catholic church and front and center is the altar, the mass. That's that's the main thing. And the pulpit or the, the stand uh, for the homily is hidden. It's off to the side. Sometimes it's so small you can't even see it. And if, if one thing were to go away in the Catholic Church, it would be the homily, not the, not the, the Eucharist. Whereas the Reformed saw the primacy of the Word, that the Word um, calibrates and shapes the, the service, and the Word is primary. Um, and so as uh, churches were being built uh, after, the, after the Reformation, front and center was the pulpit with the open Bible. Because the word was setting the the course, the word is is the you know the captain's wheel, as it were, and then off to the side or unbelow or, or below the the pulpit was then uh, the the table for the Lord's Supper, and so even the way in which churches were laid out, I think, shifted uh, when you see the word as being primary, the word even making the sacraments uh, efficacious. Yeah, I think that when we begin to think about this uh, from that historical perspective, it really does illumine. I'm glad that you're you're bringing it here, Brandon, because when we think about Roman Catholicism, you begin to think about, you know, this accomplishment of salvation. And so really what it means is that the congregation doesn't really need to be there. As long as the priest is there offering the sacrifice, well, you're good. Then everything's fine. Uh, The congregation doesn't need to hear anything. And so back, especially in the Middle Ages, but even now, within some of the Latin Mass churches, for example, you have a priest that's offering up prayers that can't be understood by the congregation. Maybe they can't even be heard by the congregation, but really that's irrelevant because what's happening in there centrally is that the sacrifice is being made to the Father. And so it doesn't even matter if anyone's there or if anyone hears anything, if anyone understands anything, as long as the sacrifice is being made. So too, it doesn't matter if anyone eats the bread or drinks the wine. That might have like a secondary benefit to it. But as long as the sacrifice is being made, that's the most important thing, which is why I made those contexts, just having communion in one kind or having only the wafer, not the cup, that that's all that's really necessary. Because again, the emphasis is being placed upon the Godward um, direction. And so, yes, back in the medieval church, you'd even have... The, um, the, the prayers be whispered, and nothing could be heard by the congregation. They're just there as spectators, as onlookers. And oftentimes the sacrifice would occur beyond a screen, and so you couldn't even see anything. But once again, the point is that it's being offered up by the priest, and that mechanical action is really the most important thing that's occurring. And that is clearly very different than what, um, what we uh, emphasize within our context and with post-Protestant Reformation, is the centrality of the word being heard and being heard in the vernacular. And even the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism are still time for hearing, to hear the words of institution, to to make sure you understand what's happening in order that you can then profit from the the, the visible word that's being um, administered to you in the water and in the bread. And in the wine, so those really clarify things. I think. Yeah, I think so too. And even the way, like, like the 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 reform speak about preaching of the word. You know, we're you know, we're we're hearing the words of Christ. 
um, we're hearing the the voice of Christ. Now that doesn't mean the pastor somehow you know his voice box turns into Christ, but it's Christ is speaking through the pastor, through uh, the the minister that he is called, speaking to his people. He's with his people, and his people gather for all, you know each Lord's Day to feast upon Christ through word, through sacrament, as the Spirit brings us into heaven uh, to receive all the benefits of salvation that he has purchased for us on our behalf. And then after the, after the service, we go out and live um, lives of, of gratitude, of, of, of thanksgiving, um, of, of honor to, to Christ. Well, we, we hope that this has been helpful for you to be thinking about these things because our doctrine, as we have hope we've unpacked in the last five weeks, it really hangs together. And as we begin to think about the authority of Scripture, as we begin to think about how the uh, church is um, uh, finds salvation in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, finding our justification, and upon that confidence we can build lives of piety, as we begin to think about who has um, been appointed to be the authority in the church, is it a single man at the top of the totem pole, or are they officers who are spread across the world? As we think further about how we find salvation mediated to us, whether it's by uh, saints and Mary alongside Jesus or Christ alone through the Holy Spirit. And then as we gather at the uh, Lord's table or is it at a marble altar to offer up a sacrifice for sins, these things are very important. And we hope it's been clarifying for you to understand where we're coming from. We hope we've persuaded you that this is a faithful biblical approach to things within the Reformed Catholic tradition. We invite your questions. We invite your input. Maybe we'll come back to this uh, sort of series in the future, but we want to hit these as very central things in order to uh, recognize why um, going to Rome is not a, uh, a faithful decision to make, but rather to find Christ and his perfect person and work accomplished already and then delivered to us by way of word and sacraments um, in the worship of the church on the Lord's Day. And to that end, we invite you to join us on Sundays at Westside Reformed Church. You can find our church at westsidereformed.org. Check out our podcast and other episodes at cincyreformed.org. And uh, until next time, I'm uh, Pastor Zach here with Pastor Brandon. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. We look forward to you joining us next time. Bye-bye.